Hey, what's up, ZPAC? Uh, it's ZDogMD and the crew, Logan Stewart, Tom Heinberg. We're here. What's up? Hey, today we're going to be talking about what Z learned at the hospital today. Today I done did my rounds. That's why I'm all dressed up. And to protect HIPAA, I'm going to amalgamate my learning experiences over months in the hospital as opposed to just today because I don't want to give away any PHI. By the way, settle this. You're a real doctor? I thought you were just an internet doctor. You shut up, Tom Heineber. I am absolutely a moderately to severely real doctor, okay? <laughs> and I resent the fact that just because I do a show and I'm doper than most, that I don't actually see patients, teach house staff, and go around the hospital spouting. I do those things. I do those things. I think if you're spouting, you should probably get it checked out. That's, I'm uh, no doctor, but. Speaking of spouting, so Kanye, new album, says he's bipolar, puts it on the cover of the album. Today we're talking a bit about the social determinants of health. What are the social determinants of Kanye's health? He's rich. He's dope. He lives in a dope zip code in Chicago. No, he lives in LA, I think. What? I yeah. thought he had a place in Chi-Town. He's no, in Calabasas yeah. with the he's Kardashians. A, a Kardashian now, so you gotta stay up on your pop culture, son. So you're saying You're that, a real doctor, you don't even know that. Well, so part of the lesson from rounding in a county hospital is that the social determinants of health are everything. They are what determine the diseases people get, how much money we're spending, whether they're gonna do well, how long they're gonna live. Your zip code matters more than almost anything else. So if Kanye lives in Beverly Hills, it's almost assured that he has herpes and has probably had work done. I don't, okay, I, I don't understand the social determinants of health uh, as a catchphrase. Does this just mean that people are poor and poor people have problems? Poor people have problems, is that Because no money equals mo problems. <laughs> so essentially no money does equal mo problems and mo money equals mo problems. The magic number seems to be in the studies around $70,000 <laughs> where you're able to take care of yourself and have not so many mo problems. But after that, mo problems. Before that, mo problems. Po problems versus mo problems. Anyway, so the idea is that when you round well put. at a county hospital, it is impressed on you very clearly that many, 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 if not most of our diseases of, uh, especially chronic disease, substance abuse, diseases of neglect, are influenced by your zip code, by your resources, by the social structures and supports around you. In other words, the so-called social determinants of health. The 90% or so uh, of the influence in our society that influences your health that isn't the healthcare system, right? But it directly falls on the shoulders of our healthcare system in the United States to try to treat and manage these problems that then result from social failures. So I will tell you, we see tons of substance abuse. We see the sequelae of substance abuse, liver disease, et cetera. We see uh, uh, infections due to intravenous drug use. We see untreated hypertension, diabetes, hypertension, uh, obesity, and kidney disease that result from diseases of people eating bad food in a food desert while smoking and drinking alcohol and abusing drugs without the tools, resources, or education to actually change any of that. And then the conditioning of that same patient population to resist any sort of education to try to change that behavior because it is hard, it's expensive, and it's been conditioned so long that it's difficult to change. Is it conditioning though, or is it just the reason these people live in these impoverished circumstances is because they have this shitty mental attitude that would make them non-compliant patients. No, I don't think it's that. And, and I'll, I'll tell you because it's a self-fulfilling thing, right? So you're born into poverty, 
uh, you have a bad family situation, there's abuse and the childhood sort of adverse uh, experiences that we've talked about before on the show, uh, you know, everything from sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, then that cycle affects your development, you then fall right back into the same pattern of abuse with your own children. There aren't a lot of resources to, to draw on, and the only thing you know and can model on are these very maladaptive behaviors. Well, what does that do to our healthcare system? It costs a lot of money because you end up with lots of different diseases, everything from the psychiatric, mental health diseases to actual physical diseases, hypertension, diabetes, stroke, heart disease, and there's plenty of evidence that Patients, if you're born in the wrong zip, zip code, your lifespan is shorter than someone born in a different zip code that changes your social determinants of health. Working in the hospital and rounding with these patients, it just hammers it in. Now, when I worked at Stanford, we had uh, two types of patients. We had the, the county type of patient that had all these diseases, and then we had the affluent patients who lived in a totally different scenario, were born into a different set of circumstances. Maybe that was also because, you know, their parents, maybe there's some other components involved. I'm not going to get into that. All I know is the outcomes. They lived into their 80s, 90s, and 100s, and what we were treating at Stanford in that population was the diseases of elderliness. So the fact that they're living so long, they're now having dementia, they're now having um, uh, sort of uh, frailty issues, failure to thrive in the, at the elder end of the spectrum, and then ending up intubated in the ICU dying because they haven't had a conversation about what their wishes are. So that is a different zip code problem. Again, still social determinants of health, but a very different variety of it. Yeah, is it basically, so what you're saying basically, the social determinants of health is a, you know, a phrase that basically says all of society's problems get dumped on the front doorstep of the hospital, the emergency room. This is exactly true. So, you know, there's a saying that, you know, and again, I'm not advocating for socialized medicine or any of this stuff. I'm just making a statement that in Europe they tend to um, socialize their medical problems. So they take medical care and they make it a social issue. They have safety nets. Now these are homogenous populations generally. They're generally little smaller populations. They have a covenant where they're like, we're gonna pay a shit ton of taxes, but we're gonna get this in return. In America, we kind of do the opposite. We have a very heterogeneous population. Um, it's a different ethos that the country was kind of founded on. And the idea here is that we medicalize our social problems. So if it's a disease of poverty or a disease of neglect or a disease of uh, social situation and abuse, we then make it a medical problem and then we spend 19% of our, 18% of our GDP on healthcare and all of it lands on our front doorstep. Like when that Baltimore patient dumping story came out, everyone blamed the healthcare system. Well, what was really to blame? Could it be the social determinants that led that poor patient with mental illness to be neglected, to end up having to use the emergency department for social services, et cetera? Have we as, a, as, a, you know, as, our, as our politicians, as our society, have we let ourselves down in that sense? Now, this is, these are broader questions. Now, if you're very conservative, you may feel like, well, no, people have to take responsibility for themselves. They pull themselves out of poverty, et cetera. And then you know, the liberal angle may be, no, poverty is created by social circumstances and bias and et cetera. I think both are true and partial. I think they're both, there's truth on both sides of the political aisle of this, and you don't have to be uh, a crazy extremist on any end to be right. I think the, the truth is somewhere in the middle. So the question is, what is wrong? Well, I think it's wrong to try to, to medicalize all our social problems because we know it doesn't work. I see it today in the hospital. It costs a ton of money when we're bandaging up a, a social problem that could have been prevented, could have been headed off at the pass. And then the problem is we're perpetuating it 
for, for the children of people in these situations. And, you know, and again, like I said, at, at parts of Stanford, you have people living to ungodly old ages because they are affluent, they have medical care, they have good nutrition, they have social support, and now you're dealing with the costs associated with them living that long. And we haven't really had a good conversation about should we have a talk about what happens at end of life and where the resources should go, et cetera. Danielle Johnson makes a good point. She says, you know, for your five-minute show, I had an idea for a show about how poor dental care leads to other problems and inability to pay for dental care. It, it does seem to be a big thing that, you know, the poor have crazy bad teeth. This is a great guy. grills. Hey, rob the jewelry store, tell them make me a grill. Yeah, because you're covering up your shitty teeth. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that that was, I thought it was just to be dope like Nelly. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. Nelly has, well, this is actually, it's interesting. Danielle was her name? Danielle Johnston. Danielle Johnston. Danielle, you're spot on, and I'm glad you brought up that new five-minute show that's going to happen soon. Dental, or the oral systemic connection has been postulated a lot by dentists that systemic disease is associated with poor dental disease. Now, the question is, what's causative and what's correlation? So it turns out being poor, having poor resources, poor diet, uh, poor time to, to take care of dental hygiene, go see the dentist, poor access to care is associated with bad teeth. It's also associated with bad health outcomes for everything else because your heart also requires a certain degree of maintenance and so do your kidneys and your blood pressure and those kind of things. So in that, and diet, nutrition are a key component of that exercise, feeling safe, stress levels that come with living in poverty and feeling in danger, adverse childhood experiences are associated with adult chronic disease, and, and it's felt to be more complex, and actually could something be set up even in childhood that leads to an inflammatory or stress cascade that causes disease as adults. The teeth and the body are correlated that way, so you can look in the mouth and actually get a sense of what, what might be going on in the body. It's interesting, I don't know if I'm violating HIPAA, but I, no, I'm not actually. I knew a dentist who took care, who knew the dentist who took care of Steve Jobs, and said that his teeth were terrible just had horrible, horrible dental, uh, dental situation. And the question is, was he highly stressed? You know, social determinants, he's a multi-billionaire, but were there other issues that led to that poor dental outcome that ultimately, you know, he died of a cancer that, you know, that some argue might have been treatable. Well, Jobs is more like a fruititarian, right? Like hippie kind of guy? He did some weird stuff. He also did a lot of acid which uh, increasingly, I, I highly recommend you check out Michael Pollan's book about psychedelics. Um, there is something about psychedelic use and the mind-expanding properties of that and having sort of these so-called spiritual experiences that is common with many highly successful entrepreneurs and the like. Let, let me throw something at you real quick and see how you feel about it. You know, Nicholas Taleb has this idea that sort of uh, Europe is a non-ergotic system, which basically means Europe isn't in a state of homeostasis where they have permanent caste systems. And if you're born into a class, you stay in that class. Whereas America is a dynamic system where you move in between classes over time. So most wealth in America is lost by the second or third generation. So if you end up in impoverished circumstances, it is partially your fault and your responsibility in Taleb's worldview. What do you think about that? I think it's complicated, and I'd love to see actually the data that shows that Europeans are stuck and unsocially mobile. If there's that data, it'd be interesting to kind of review. A bigger question, though, here's an interesting question that correlates to that, and again, it has to do with the social determinants of health and health in general. We are very good at measuring gross domestic product. We're very good at measuring economic output per capita, and the United States has been great at that. But what about 
gross happiness per capita, actual, the feeling of well-being, of being supported, et cetera. Over the years in the United States, even though we've grown our gross domestic product, gross domestic happiness has been stagnant. And we see increases in suicides, increase in, in substance abuse, narcotic use, et cetera, almost the medication of psychic pain. I'd like to see the data on Europe. Some of it is not good. Some of it, from what I understand, is actually better than the US. And there are countries that have a greater happiness quotient than us. So would it matter if people have a better sense of well-being, better overall health, and better happiness that we're not as socially mobile? That's a question I posit to you guys, Zipak. Let me know what you think. Well, listen, here in America, you have the right to pursue your happiness, and that means getting Norcos from your favorite doctor in the ER. It's interesting. We have, <laughs> we have the right to pursue happiness. We do not have the right to happiness. It's an important distinction. That's how the United States has been set up. We have the right to strive for what we think is happiness. And then when we get it, sometimes we realize, boy, it didn't really make me happy. That new thing, the so-called hedonic treadmill. And so back to the sort of hospital, you know, when I round, I always come away going, wow, we're seeing the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy, people who are trying to fulfill their basic needs and are failing at a county hospital scenario where I'm taking care of the 20% of patients that are costing 80% of the healthcare dollars with residents and house staff that are trying to learn from them because they're the sickest, then sort of, sort of um, um, contrast it with one of the private community hospitals where I've worked where it really is diseases of affluence, diseases of, of being older, um, and, and then all the elective procedures that drive the revenue for the hospital. It's really, really remarkable to see. The end-stage renal disease that you see in the affluent population is very different. It may be due to polycystic kidney, something else. They may be on a transplant list. In, in the impoverished population, it's the disease of hypertension, diabetes, uncontrolled obesity, and so-called non-compliance, non-adherence. And so, you know, these are, until we really confront this issue, we're not gonna solve America's problem with overspending on healthcare. We really, really, really have to look at the social determinants as a fundamental issue and take a good look at what, what we want as a social covenant. Do we want to pursue happiness or do we want to actually generate happiness or do we want to uh, do it the way we're doing now? Which honestly, whatever you think, our current system is unsustainable and is destined for, for, for failure. It's an economic albatross that's going to affect our competitiveness worldwide. And I would actually shift happiness, or, or what you really mean by saying happiness is you mean meaning and satisfaction. Because happiness is when you get that first hit of opiates. That's happiness, you know? Well, that's interesting. This is a good question. If you were to interview someone while they get that dilated burst and their dopamine receptors are firing, are I think they happy? would say that they're happy. They would yeah. say they're happy. But a bigger question, I think the way to do those surveys is a bigger area under the curve. Would you say that you find your, your life to have meaning and purpose? Do you feel happy overall in life? It's a bigger question. And pe smarter people than us have studied this and have actually looked at happiness in a, in a more scientific way. And it's a newer field, this field of positive psychology, trying to figure out what actually generates meaningful well-being in people. So think about it this way, if you're conscious, if you have a subjective experience of the world, you wanna suffer as little as possible and feel as good and as connected as possible. And happiness is really that calculation going towards the positive. So maybe it's- See, People think that we're swinging wildly around topics because we're now talking about happiness and satisfaction and meaning in life. But <laughs> these things are, these things are what's causing the, this broken system. Yeah, you know? It, you know, I think the fundamental question is what should we be 
about if you're unhappy, if there's misery in your life, and I'm talking about a billionaire who, like Steve Jobs, who's striving and grinding his teeth and not brushing them, if his definition of happiness is material success, but inside he's actually not happy, he's stressed, he has a cortisol response, et cetera, his health is gonna suffer, and we're all as a system gonna pay for it. An impoverished person with adverse childhood experiences in a ghetto is gonna suffer a similar degree of health deficit, just from a different cause. So we really need to ask ourselves what happiness is. Because the poorest person in India, they've studied this, who lives in a family unit with everybody under one roof, has a sense of community, and even though they're struggling, they, they report self-reported happiness higher than a middle-class person who has all their material needs sort of satisfied. You know, if you look probably at their cortisol levels, they're probably lower, and there's probably some degree of health benefit to that. So this is, these are questions that we need to have. Yeah, we're scattered, we're always scattered. But the truth is, it's scattered with a purpose. It all relates to this common problem of the social determinants of health. It's, we just need to fix it, bro, with so, socialism, right? That's the thing. That's the name of our show, Scattered with a Purpose. Scattered with Purpose. Yeah, that, that, that's it, Scattered <laughs> with Purpose. What really kind of matters with ZDog MD? Yeah. <laughs> socialism or bust? I don't think any of us here sitting here believe, believe that socialism is the answer. We're, we're kind of three libertarians in a way. I skew a little more liberal libertarian. Tom is an anarchist. Listen, I have a child on the way, and there are three things that every child needs to hear. Hmm. I love you. I'm always here for you. Communism has failed every time it's been tried. You pretty much nailed it on all three points. By the <laughs> way, I think you just announced that your wife is pregnant. That's right, yeah. Is it yours 100% or is it just speculation? <laughs> I mean, You know, we never know these things until they come out. See, see how it goes. You're gonna get so many anthrax spores for your wedding shower, like, because it's Tom Heineber. I hate you so much, Tom Heineber is gonna be the envelope, and then anthrax spores. Aimed at you, not at your wife or child, which are gonna be amazing. By the way, you, had, you said you picked a name already, but you're not gonna reveal it. Can't reveal it yet. But you said Sorry. it's the whitest, most white privileged name you could ever come up with. That's right, that's right, because you have to perpetuate the class system in America. I'm kidding, you don't have to. I'm just... <laughs> you're just going to. <laughs> <laughs> the social determinants of health. I don't know. I think we're out. I hate you so much, Tom Heineber. Let's do it. Bye. <laughs> hey, it's Dr. Z. Thanks for getting through the whole episode. That's a huge accomplishment. <laughs> and so at this point, I just got to ask you for a few favors because it just helps us so much if you leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe. It, it just really helps the algorithms to get this message out to others. The second thing is email me, hello at zdogmd.com. I get all these emails personally. I can't respond to them all, but I need to hear your voice because especially on podcast, we don't have a comment section. And I wanna hear how this episode affected you, what you'd like to hear in the future, what you think we got wrong, what we think we got right, anything, anything, or just say hi. So that's really powerful. And the third thing is, Financially, it helps us a lot to support the show in any way you can. And if you go to zdogmd.com forward slash supporters, you can join our supporter tribe on your favorite platform, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, wherever. What that will get you on those platforms is live shows with me that are exclusive for supporters and access to our Zoom meetings where we talk about awakening realization and we share with each other our own experience. It's a powerful group effect. It's a community, really. And we support and love each other and share, again, through our own experience, how we're waking up. So, and that that ripples out into systems, into transforming healthcare and education and government. So it st really starts with us. 
So join us there if you can. Again, zdogmd.com forward slash supporters. And I'm so grateful to have you with us.